afternoon, everybody. Hope you are doing well. If you have your Bible, I'm going to kind of give away where we're heading today once I say the chapter. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to be in Proverbs 31. That may ring a bell. So, t- turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 31. And as you turn there, some of our team is helping with the new members meeting uh, going on next door in the choir room. And uh, the, the last two weeks we had Sunday school, we talked about uh, biblical manhood and womanhood. We're going to, Lord willing, continue on that for a while, uh, a number of more things to discuss. But oftentimes, uh, something I hear is that, uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time t- discussing with Genesis 1 through 3 and Ephesians 5. A lot of time gets spent talking about the husband's role or the man's role, uh, the father's role, which is right and good and appropriate. But uh, some, uh, sometimes the question is, well, let's get more specific about the role of the woman, the role of, uh, oftentimes in the Bible, the role of a wife and a mother, although single women can also learn a whole lot from these same passages and single men. But as we look here at the conclusion of Proverbs, if you remember this book, it is a father giving a really wise counsel to his son. That's sort of how the book of Proverbs is structured. And so, why does it end with with this, with this incredible description of this godly wife and mother. And if I can just go ahead and just kind of get our mindset in place, look at Proverbs 31, verse 10. So, a, a book largely written from a father to a son ends with this, Proverbs 31, 10. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. So, it is framed with how godly young men can seek counsel to find a godly wife to marry. And so, that, that's sort of the framing of Proverbs 31. There's a husband, I mean, excuse me, a father instructing a son largely, and he's saying, if you are looking for a godly woman, uh, he says, uh, who can find this excellent wife, but she is far more precious than jewels. So, that's sort of the, the way into this conversation. It applies to men and women in different kinds of ways. Uh, Papa Fred, would you just read for us verses 10 through 31, and then we're going to walk back through it uh, as we go. 10 through 31, Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. 
She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Would you pray for us, friend? I'd love to. Father, I just read this uh, Proverbs 31 and, and, and think about the wisdom uh, of providing this passage for us. We see here uh, uh, as uh, the Solomon providing uh, guidance for his son, um, it, but it's lasted throughout the centuries as, as, a, as a guidance for all people as to what a godly woman should look like. And uh, I'm thankful that we can read this passage today and, and, and use it as an example of your model, your pattern, your role for a godly woman. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Fred. Uh, just to jump right into things here, uh, obviously our culture, I'll just keep saying this, despises biblical gender roles, hates them, particularly what the Bible says about the role of a wife and a mother. The people just today, the, the shrieking is shrill. It is, it is the volume, is, it's crackling the speakers how loud it is. And so one of the best ways to respond to the culture's uh, confusion about gender uh, yes, we should engage those arguments, we should discuss them, we should talk about them, we should biblically criticize them. I am all for all that. We'll be doing that today. But maybe the single best thing to do is to have a local church where it's a counterculture within the culture. It's an alternate city within the city. It's a different way of living within another way of living. And so it's the sacred within the secular way of, of viewing things. And for people to come into a local church and to see uh, women who love biblical womanhood and, and strive to imitate what Scripture says, and for men who love godly masculinity and seek to honor that in the way God has commanded, when, when people come into that environment, it is so different from the caricatures. It is so different from the distortions. It is so different from the name calling and these, these bumper sticker arguments and these meme arguments that you hear online, that when you see the real beauty of biblical complementarity, of a husband who loves like Christ loves the church, and you see a wife who submits to her husband, loves her husband's leadership, uses her intelligence and creativity to bolster and support her husband's vision for their family and for their marriage, it is not all the names that get called in our culture. When you see the real deal, and, and we've all seen it, haven't we? Haven't, haven't we seen this? Where you say, this is not what the culture's calling it. This is beautiful. This is good. This is right. This is true. This is for our flourishing. This is for our flourishing as women. This is for our flourishing as men. God has not made us androgynous, where we can just sort of switch on a, you know, what, what do they call it? Like a gradation scale between genders, and you can just sort of move and slide from one side to the other, regardless of your biological sex. Uh, that is not the case. Biblically speaking, we should be unashamed as men to be men, unashamed as women to be women, and we should embrace how God has made us. And when we do, I'm just telling you, it is hard to mock the real thing. It is hard to make fun of the real thing. If you've had parents, some of you have had this blessing, some of you uh, painstakingly have not uh, had this blessing. But for those who've had the blessing of growing up in a home, where our fathers were not flawless, but genuinely godly heads of the home. 
and we had moms who were genuinely godly mothers who loved your father and, and supported him and didn't mock him or belittle him in public or speak in a degrading way, and, and we saw that working together, it's an incredibly strong argument, and it's very hard to refute an actual life lived out. Uh, and so, uh, I, today we'll, we'll kind of spend some time here, Papa Fred, with uh, looking at the Proverbs 31 woman, and I, I'm borrowing some of these words from other pastors. I kind of made my own list by combining others, and I want to look at eight marks of a Proverbs 31 woman. Eight marks of a Proverbs 31 woman. I'll just go ahead and tell you the words first. I try, try to keep them short. Eight marks of a Proverbs 31 woman. Number one, she is rare. Number two, trusted. Number three, hardworking. Or you could say industrious, hardworking. Number four, she is compassionate. Number five, she's prepared. Number six, she's wise and kind. Wise and kind. Number seven, she's admired. And number eight, she fears the Lord. And just to kind of, just because, just to not waste any time, this was interesting to me. I mean, it doesn't really surprise me, but we need to hear this more than ever today. All these verses describing the, 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 the almost ideal picture of the, of the godly wife and mother, not a single statement about her physical beauty except one verse that makes it much less important than we make it today. Think about that. In our world's eyes, physical attractiveness is of utmost significance. It, it is on every magazine cover, every ad, every movie, every TV show, uh, lying both to men but especially to women, that the number one most important thing about you is your form and figure, your attractiveness, the way you look, the way you appear. That is, that is the be-all, end-all. And Proverbs 31 says nothing about her, being, uh, about her attractiveness except the one verse that, that makes it much less important. It's fleeting. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So just as, as men seek a wife, thinking about what is actually the most important attributes to be looking for, uh, it's not going to line up with what the world is, is telling men to look for and what women to be. So we'll start with number one, rare, and verse 10, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. So th this is saying here that Rare. A, a woman who loves the Word of God, loves Scripture, loves what God has called her to be, loves her local church. I know back then it would not be a local church, but today it would be. Who, who loves what God has called her to be. Th those women are rare, and godly men also are, are rare th today. Uh, so, Fred, thoughts about the rare jewel uh, of, of the godly wife? Well, verse 10 again, an excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. Um, now, I'm one or two years older than, than you, Mark. Is your birthday this week? Is it the, is yeah. Tuesday? Tuesday? Don't. 77. All right. <laughs> Fred, is, Fred is not liking where this is going. <laughs> happy, for, happy early birthday. Well, I didn't invite that. I mean, but thank you. Um, as, as someone who has um, spent some time in life, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with Solomon. He's writing this centuries and centuries and centuries ago. Um, now, he didn't always follow his own advice, unfortunately. But I think 
this type of beauty, and I don't mean external, I mean the, the beauty of the heart, and that's what the, the wisdom, that mm -hmm. type of thing, is just very difficult. I mean, I, don't, I think the only place that in our society today is, is to find that is in a conservative church that mm -hmm. is biblical and espouses this doctrine. We're going to talk about doctrine, mm -hmm. sound doctrine in, um, what is it, Titus? Mm -hmm. uh, this is sound doctrine. And, and, and young women, don't, don't be lured by the culture or media. Or uh, These are the most important attributes. These are the described in 30, Proverbs 31. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, something to be uh, desired more than gold and silver yes. and jewels. Yes, in, in Proverbs, remember, there's, there's lady wisdom and there's lady folly. Folly. And as you read through the book of Proverbs, you see personified in these two women uh, an ungodly woman and, and, and a godly woman. And even as you read through and study Proverbs, think through that and, and think about what we can learn from those two kind of paradigms of, of what godliness looks like. Uh, number two, she is trusted. So verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Now, if, if we're not already countercultural enough, I'm going to read a quote, an extended quote from Carolyn Mahaney's book, Feminine Appeal, Seven Virtues of a Godly Wife and Mother, which is a, is a very good book. But just brace yourself if you've never heard this before. I think this is right and biblical, but at first it sounds a little bit unusual with this idea of doing her husband good and doing her family good. This is what she writes. For more than 30 years, the women's movement has told us, speaking to women, that we would be happier, more fulfilled human beings if we left our homes and children and went out to work. To the degree that we might feel misgivings or guilt about leaving our babies to others to raise, we have been assured that such feelings are imposed upon us by society and are sexist. No more normal for a mother to experience than a father. Instead, we've been taught to suppress these worries and to put our work ahead of our families, or at the very least, to attempt to balance the demands of boss and baby. And then Carolyn says, part and parcel of the feminist message has been a disdain of domesticity and a contempt for housewives. Consequently, the profession of homemaking is not very popular these days. It has dropped very low on our society's chart of worthwhile contributions, if it even makes the list at all. Many women are reluctant to stay at home because of the lack of respect they receive from our culture. Homemaking is deemed as a low-status job. Another woman writes this, much of the world would agree that being a housekeeper is acceptable as long as you are not caring for your own home. Treating men with attentive devotion would, be, would also be right as long as the man is the boss in the office and not your husband. Caring for children would even be deemed heroic service for which presidential awards would be given as long as the children are someone else's and not your own. Because we have breathed toxic feminist air for several decades now, we cannot ignore the fact that its poison has potentially infected us all, particularly in relation to homemaking or, as Titus 2 tells us, working at home. We must return to Scripture to discover what God requires of us in this command. I'm going to continue here for a moment. The, now, if it's not already intense enough, brace yourself. The principal place of work for wives and mothers is at the home. Home as a sphere, was a sphere for her work. 
Scripture is clear that men are responsible to be providers for the home, while women are responsible to be the caretakers of the home. Now, the Bible does not say that wives and mothers are never allowed to work outside the four walls of their houses. We will see that with the Proverbs 31 woman. Nor does it preclude them from receiving wages for work. Scripture provides examples of godly women who worked in other settings and earned extra income, like the Proverbs 31 woman, but never to the neglect of their families and homes. The Proverbs 31 woman is one such model. During her lifetime, she pursued many endeavors beyond the confines of her house. She worked among the poor and needy. She traveled. She bought real estate. She planted vineyards. She made linen garments and sashes and sold them. She participated in trading. But her primary motive and goal with all these enterprises was to serve her family and her home. Working at home must always remain a constant and ongoing priority in the lives of women. She says, in our lives. And I'll read a little bit more of this as we go. But even hearing that today just may sound so, to some, so backwards and so, oh, no, what is this trying to portray? But uh, as Mark Dever said in his sermon, he said, I can assure you that Proverbs 31 was written long before the 1950s housewife stereotype ever came on the scene. Okay, we're, we're not talking about the 1950s housewife stereotype. We're talking about something that's 3,000 years old, inspired by God, and that is good for us in all times and places. And we'll talk more as we go. But this idea here of her being trusted and trustworthy and, and virtuous and valuable in her work is enormously significant. Number three, she is hardworking, industrious, verses 13 through 19. Fred, can you reread for us 13 through 19? She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. So, I'm sorry, I'm reading a lot, but I'm going to read one more thing here. Uh, this is from a Proverbs commentary, but th this is a quote written by a, a woman who wrote a book about motherhood. I don't know anything about this lady, so I won't endorse her. I don't know anything about her, but I just want to read this quote, which I thought was, was uh, it almost makes you, makes you laugh a little bit at how much moms have to do every single day. Being a mom is a job. This is her speaking about being a mom. Being a mom is a job with a capital J. We work our fingers to the bone, push our nerves to the edge, and use every skill we have to accomplish the day's demands. Just what does a mother do all day? Today's college student cannot imagine. Numbers of women are baffled by what they do with all that time if they just had to stay home. Well, sometimes mom herself can't even remember. Here's her list. What am I? Well, I'm the following. I am a baby feeder, changer, bather, rocker, burper, hugger, listener to crying and fussing and thousands of questions. I'm a picker-upper of food and debris cast on the floor. I'm a comforter, encourager, counselor. I'm a linguistic expert for two-year-old dialects. I'm a listener to the husband as well as the children about their day, their needs, their concerns, their aspirations. I'm a teacher of everything from how to chew food to how to drive a car. I'm an assistant on school projects, a censor of TV, movies, and books. I'm a reader of thousands of children's books. I'm a planner and hostess of children's birthday parties. I'm a planner and hostess of adult dinner parties. I am central control for getting the appliances fixed and for carpets cleaned. I'm the, exec uh, I'm the executioner of ants, roaches, roaches, wasps, and other pests. The list continues. I'm a resident historian in charge of photo albums, baby books, and school record books. I'm resident encyclopedia. So I'm a res resident encyclopedia source for all those hard questions that seem to arise. 
I'm food preservation expert. I'm keeper and locator of birth certificates and other valuable documents. I am the ironer of wrinkles. I'm the appointment desk for the church's visit to the doctor, the dentist, the orthodontist, the barber, and the mechanic. I'm seeker of God. I'm one who prays. I'm cleaner of the oven, the drawers, the closets, the garage, the curtains, the windows, and even the walls. I'm a refinisher of furniture. I'm the hubby's romantic and attentive spouse. I'm emergency medical technician and ambulance driver. Uh, And what else do I do? Well, among other things, I do the following just when you thought it was done. I clip 10 fingernails and 10 toenails for each young child regularly. I return library books. I choose gifts, purchase gifts, wrap gifts for birthdays, Christmas, Father's Day, Mother's Day, weddings, showers, baby showers, anniversaries, and any other event that might even remotely require a gift. I mail packages. I buy stamps. I drop off the dry cleaning. I pick up the dry cleaning. I haul everything that needs repair. I attend recitals. I attend every school sporting event imaginable. I'm a chauffeur to everyone everywhere. I comb little girls' hairdos. I help in the classroom. I attend school PTA meetings and conferences. I act as a room mother, making, th- making things and organizing more parties. I'm a chaperone to field trips and special events. I coordinate carpools. I serve as a local uh, bluebird leader. I don't know what that means. An Awana leader, a Sunday school teacher, deliverer of forgotten lunches, forgotten homework, forgotten athletic gear, make bank deposits and withdrawals, and on the list goes. I will just tell you from watching my, my wife and all the ways that she serves our family relentlessly, including at 4 o'clock last night when Maggie was screaming. True story. Uh, Kelly is serving our family constantly all the time. The very fact that our world today demeans that as being less than a true job because it's not attached to a paycheck and some promotion in a business makes me furious because it is as hard a job as any job I've ever seen. It's the most relentless job of any job I've ever seen. It's the only job where you literally are never off the clock. If lucky, you catch a nap while holding the newborn in your hand while the baby is fighting off some kind of sickness or is awake or asleep here and there or not feeling so well in its stomach. And so the, the job of a mother is incredibly dignified, incredibly important, incredibly significant. It is unbelievably valuable. It is the, it is the raising up and training of eternal souls, immortal souls who will either live forever apart from Christ or in the presence of Christ, depending in part on how we raise them to know and love the Lord. This is the most dignified, most glorious, most important job I can possibly imagine. And the fact that today our world wants to throw this job in the gutter and trample on it and spit on it and mock it and mock women who do this committedly is a sad statement of where we are today in our culture. And I think women know oftentimes deep down that the so-called feminist agenda is not actually deep down what they are wired for and what they are made for by God and that there is something so often better. Again, I'm not addressing the the genuine call to singleness that some women have, but generally speaking, this is a wonderful and good and right endeavor that God calls the majority of Christian women and women generally uh, to to be a part of. So, Fred, thoughts on this? Well, men could not do this without a helper. (laughs) You could not do this without a helper. You're a pastor. Now you have three children. Uh, Last count, this. (laughs) Last last count. Is that something you want to tell me? (laughs) Uh, I, I was thinking as you were reading, I, I, I mentioned this to you, but uh, just a little parallel. Uh, I, I love that quote from, from Proverbs. Uh, uh, Martin Luther, uh, to give you a middle age example, he, he was uh, a reluctant uh, groom. Uh, he wanted to get married once the door was open, but he knew that he had a death sentence on him, and he knew that he wouldn't probably survive very long, and so he uh, he did not uh, initially uh, get married. But uh, he arranged for a, a group of twelve nuns to escape a convent, 
and they were, they were um, smuggled in pickle barrels. Uh, and three of them went back home, but nine of them they had to find wives for, and he succeeded in, in doing that for eight. But one had her eye on Luther. Now, there were some other attempted liaisons, but they didn't work out. But she had her eye on Luther, and she, uh, he eventually married her. Uh, Catherine von Bora. Uh, he called her Katie. He actually called her Dr. Katie Luther. <laughs> but just, just, a little, just a little snippet here. Um, Luther took care of the garden, which produced lettuce, cabbage, peas, beans, melons, and cucumbers. Katie looked after the orchard beyond the village, which supplied them with apples, grapes, pears, nuts, and peaches. She had a fish pond, which she netted trout, carp, pike, fish. She looked after the barnyard with hens, ducks, pigs, and cows, did all the slaughtering herself, uh, and managed another farm in Zulsdorf. Luther wrote her on one occasion to the rich lady of Zulsdorf, Mrs. Dr. Catherine Luther, who lives in the flesh at Wittenberg, but in the spirit in Zulsdorf, and again to my beloved wife, Catherine, Mrs. Dr. Luther, mistress of the pig market, lady of Zulsdorf, and whatever uh, titles may befit thy grace. In addition, she raised six children, four adopted, four orphans, and took care of the masses of people that would come to Luther's cloister to learn from him. She fed them, she, she boarded them, she housed them in her spare time. It, all, all this in 20 years. The, what, the effect that, that Luther and, and his view of marriage and others in the Re Reformation had was absolutely historically momentous because... Radical. Radical. Right. In, in the Middle Ages, what was thought of, the only way to be truly committed to the Lord was the life of singleness. Now, there is a legitimate path for that, as I always keep saying. But th the idea was, generally speaking, if you're a really godly man, you become a monk and you're sworn to celibacy. And if you're a really godly woman, you become a nun in the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. You become a nun and you are, you know, so-called married to Christ, but you were not going to be married to another man. That was the big rebellion as she went from a nun to being married to Luther. And the, one of the, I don't know if it was foreseen, but one of the side effects of the Reformation was people realized that, no, wait, a godly marriage is a legitimate avenue for honoring the Lord. Yes, the single life can be legitimate, but it's not the only legitimate path for being sold out for the Lord. The married life was elevated and the home life was elevated in the Reformation. And that's had a massive effect uh, worldwide in the, in the last five centuries. There's a comment by Roland Bainton. I do recommend this. It's an old book, but it's Here I Stand by, Luke, by Luther. And he said, um, Luther did more than any other person to determine the tone of German domestic relations for the next four centuries. Yeah. So uh, he brought marriage up to the fore. He wrote about marriage. He taught about marriage. And he saw that as a a godly example of, of Genesis 1, too. Yes. Creation. Yes, that's very good. Uh, that's really good. Let's move to number four, compassionate. Uh, look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hand to the needy. So, so we can just pause right there. She has a care for those even beyond her own household. Uh, for those who are in need, who are in great need around her, even beyond her own family, she is aware of them. She's attentive to them. She's reaching out to them. She opens her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hand to the needy. Number five, she is prepared. I love this. Look at verses 21 and 22. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Now, can I, can I just say here on the prepared, if you look back at verse 15, it keeps mentioning her household. It says she provides food 
for her household and portions for her maidens. And then verse 21, all her household are clothed in scarlet. And I want to suggest to you, and again, this would not have been controversial at almost any time in human history until right now, but the the special responsibility of caring for the food and the clothing of the home particularly normally rests on the wife and the mother. This doesn't mean it is a sin for the man to go cook a meal, or even if the man cooks a lot of meals, it's not wrong. But there is a special responsibility of the wife to care for the food of her household in verse 15 and to care for the clothing in her household in verse 21. That is not a 1950s stereotype message. This is, a, this is biblically a message. It's 3,000 years old. The, the special responsibility of the godly wife and mother is a care for the food for her home and the special responsibility of caring for the clothing for her home. Does this mean the husband can never do the laundry? No, that's not what this means, okay? Uh, I need to do the laundry more than I do the laundry, especially <laughs> with a newborn. But, but that's not what this is saying. But there is a special responsibility with, with food and clothing. Now, let me even put a footnote here, lest so easy to be misunderstood in this minefield that we're just dancing in, ready for a, a leg just to get blown off today with this minefield. But here, here is, here is a, something to think about. There may be times where for a temporary season, uh, there might have to be… Uh, so for, for instance, let's say that the husband is in full-time school working on his PhD, or maybe he's in seminary trying to finish his degree or whatever, and let's say that he's not actually able, he's taking a full load of seminary or, or whatever, PhD courses or master's course, he's trying to finish it as quick as he can, so there's a two-year period where he can only do school. Is, that, is it wrong for the wife to be the primary breadwinner while he's… No, that's not, that's not wrong. But what, what I'm saying is the general course of life, the general direction of life should be heading in the direction of these principles here in the, in the text. Uh, I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah. So she's prepared. With food, clothing, she's prepared. Verse 21, I love. She's not afraid of, of, of snow for her household. And if you look at verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. So you, you could almost add as a subset of prepared is she's not mastered by anxiety. She's not mastered by fear. She's prepared, which means a couple things. Number one, it means she's physically, she's got intelligence and wisdom about how to get ready for the future. Uh, Snow is pretty rare in the Jerusalem area, pretty rare thing, but she's ready for the most extreme situation like snow or like some kind of disaster, unforeseen. She's prepared physically for that. But at the same time, she is also spiritually prepared. How can anyone, man or woman, laugh at the future with the uncertainties of this world? And the answer is she trusts, she fears the Lord, she trusts in the sovereign goodness of God. That's the, that's the answer. She, it's like 1 Peter 3 that we hope to talk about next Sunday, that, that uh, she uh, laughs at the time to come. She, she's not afraid of the future. She's trusting in the Lord. She's hoping in the Lord. So this woman is prepared physically for future needs for her family. She thinks ahead. She, she, she is intelligent. She is, she's got forethought, wisdom, but she's also spiritually invested in hoping in the Lord, fearing the Lord, trusting His promises so much that she can laugh at the time to come. She can laugh in the face of the unknown. She can look into a scary, unknown future and be more afraid of the Lord in a holy sense than afraid of an unknown future. She can entrust her future to the hands of a trustworthy God. So, Fred, thoughts on some of these things? She is, she's executing, um, she's demonstrating her, her faith here uh, massively, uh, as you mentioned, and, and wisdom. And, you know, you can't, the, the book you read a few minutes ago, the commentary on, on activities, 
you can't do all those things. You can't juggle all those activities without some sense of organization, planning. You just don't, you know, ad hoc run here and there. I mean, you've got to, especially the more children you have, the, mm -hmm. the more, I, you know, I thought about Luther with, with uh, you know, six, ten kids plus the, 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 the residents at the cloister, you know, asking for room and board and that kind of, and she fed them all. So you you gotta you gotta okay I gotta go out and slaughter a hog today, <laughs> or, 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 or catch a or catch some hens or something like that and and so there's there's an order uh, going back to Genesis um, two uh, God said it's not good that man should be alone I'll make him a helper suitable for him and, and that's this is what a helper does uh, it, it doesn't mean a helper doesn't lead sometimes when she has to. Obviously, this woman, Proverbs 31 woman, is, is a leader. She took the initiative. Yeah, like buying the field, buying the a vineyard. Field. That's right. And, and so she's, she's planning. I mean, you can't, you assume that she's got, I don't know how many children she has or offsprings, but, but she obviously has some, so she's planning. And you can't do that without some organizational ability. Yeah. So, so, and, and, and so, God, and th this is all part, going back to Genesis 2, the helper thing, this is all part of God's order. In the beginning, he, he, he wanted an order in creation, and this is the way he designed it. And Proverbs 31 is just like, and where, 3,000 years ago, an example, and Luther's wife, another example. And, uh, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's it's, it's something to be lauded. To glory in. Yes. Yeah, not to be embarrassed by. No, and, and it, it does bring glory to God. Yes. When, when that happens and it works out that way. Yeah, just, I want to repeat this point. Uh, th this woman, is, I mean, she is in a sense working outside the home in the sense that she is, she's going out and she's trading things. She's making a profit. She's, she's buying a vineyard, all those things. But, but let's, be, let's be careful here. Like the, like the quote I read earlier, those things are all subservient to her caring for the household. The, the, the priority for her is not the career over the home. The priority is the home above her so-called career. And career is not even the right word to use for what she's doing here, but she's working hard. She's making a profit. She's buying a vineyard. She's doing lots of things, trading. But all of those things are subservient to her care for her home, her husband, her children, looking after the ways of her household. Her household is mentioned four times, at least in this chapter, uh, and so, th that is the priority in, in what she is doing. Now, I, I love this next one. Are we on number six? Is that next? Yes. Uh, wise and kind. I love this. So, look at verses 26 and 27. This is fantastic summary. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So this woman is clearly not lazy. Her lamp doesn't go out by night. She's up early in the morning. She's up late at night. She's tireless. She's not one to just sit around and just, just play all the time or just be lazy. She, she has things to do. And by the way, this woman seems to be a woman of pretty good wealth and means. Yes. And she doesn't use her advantage and wealth as an excuse for laziness. Think about for all of us. If we're prosperous, the excuse is I'm going to kick my feet back. I'm going to be lazy. She's not chilling, watching, you know, on TV, Netflix all day long. She, she, is, she is engaged in industrious business. She is doing things that are profitable. Doesn't mean she doesn't ever rest. There is an appropriate place for rest, but she is not lazy. And it says here, again, verse 26, when she opens her mouth, it's wisdom. 
And when she, the teaching of her tongue is kindness. So, I mean, you could say this to the men, but this is to the women. All the women in this room, a goal for you should be uh, what John Piper called to be, to grow up, to become wise, godly sages. I love that old word, sage. Sages. A, a sage is the, you, you want to be the kind of person where as you get older in life and you've endured a lot of trials and suffering, other women will come to you as you get older and say, how did you endure the fourth miscarriage? Mm. How did you get through the loss of your adult child? How did you endure cancer two times and you barely survived? How did you get through the loss of your husband's job three years ago? How did you all get through this economic hit that your husband's business took or whatever? You, you want to grow up and be so steeped in the Bible, so loving God's Word that women will come to you and say, I need help. Like, I, I am, I'm behind where you are. I, I'm way back from where you are. How did you make, through, make it through a similar time of life? And the older woman will be a sage. She will just be full of Bible and wisdom and experience, and it will just flow out of her, and, and women will flock to her, and sometimes in appropriate ways, men will come to her. There, there's an appropriate way for men to come to, to women in a certain setting and to ask that, and, and she will just be overflowing with wisdom, and her wisdom is tempered with kindness. She doesn't just hit you over the head with the truth. She, she's full of wisdom and truth and, and Scripture and Bible and God, and yet it's all flavored with the salt of kindness. It, 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 her, her words are, are, are kind and gracious in the way that they are given, uh, and she is an encouragement. So, if you spend time with the, with the Proverbs 31 woman, she's not mainly going to talk about mindless trivialities of the day on social media or on the news or whatever. I mean, not that everything on the news is trivial, but she's not, uh, it's a new celebrity situation. Do you know that so-and-so's dating so-and-so in Los Angeles? I mean, Who cares? Unimportant, unimportant. She, she is going to talk about things that are of eternal importance more frequently. She's going to make your mind become elevated, not, not brought down to the gutter of temporal insignificance. She's going to elevate your thinking to eternal things, to important things, to godly things, to Christ-exalting things, to Bible-saturated things. She, she's, her habit in conversation is to move you towards Jesus rather than away, away from the world towards God rather than towards the world away from God. She, she loves to talk about the things that matter and are substantial. And a godly single man should be looking for a godly single woman who is like that. She, she has wisdom and kindness on her tongue. When she speaks, people listen because there's, there's wisdom to be had in, in what she says. Fred? Well, that's why we, we didn't mention verse 23. Their husband is known in the gates where, when he sits among the elders of the land. I don't understand this, but in, in the OT, the, the ruling elders would sit at the gate and transact business. Because she was so industrious and productive, she allowed him to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't have to take care of a lot of these activities. And so it freed him up to do his part of the responsibility. Yeah, and you can see here, he is a leader in his town, an elder at the gate, was, was kind of like a, you know, that's a, that's a big deal at that time in that place. And so she, she is not despising that. The fact that he has a prominent public position is not something that she despises. She is instead using her giftedness to help in all ways she can. She has a completely dignified position, and he has a completely dignified position, but they're not the same position. These are different uh, callings for, for the two of them. I feel like I cut you off, Fred. No, 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 that was good. That, that's, that's the point I wanted to make, but it's because she is, she's taking care of the home, she's taking care of the family, that, that he's got the freedom to be able to do some of the, to lead yeah, in and, the community. And a famous example, I think, I think I would actually criticize my historical hero, Jonathan Edwards, in a few areas, but one of them might even be here. But Jonathan Edwards, there's a book called Marriage to a Difficult Man. 
What a great title. Jonathan Edwards, he would have been a strange man to live in the same house with. He's just like a huge brain and a strange person sometimes. But Jonathan Edwards, who I love, greatly respect, he's had a huge impact on, on, on many of us All at of this us. church. Uh, he, he's, he was a pastor, and his wife, Sarah Edwards, was a wonderful wife and mother. They had how many kids? Nine or Watch something out. kids. And, but if you read the story about their interactions, uh, she was able to free him up a lot of times to do his pastoral duties, and she was taking care of enormous amounts of responsibilities around the home with all these children and with all the things that they had to do. So, reading up on some historical examples can be, can be helpful. For the sake of time, let me continue here. Sure. Num- number seven is she is admired. admired. Verses 28 and 29 is just wonderful. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What an accolade. It doesn't get much better than that. But think about the children. My guess is the children at certain points would have said, she's not so fun. She's too many rules. There's too much. She disciplines us. This is not enjoyable. There's probably an age where the kids would have criticized their parents a lot more. It wasn't this true of all of us when you're young. You think your parents are just crazy when you're at a certain age, and you're like, what are they doing? And then you get a little bit older, and you're like, oh, I was the crazy one. They were actually being wise and helping. So as these children get a little bit older, as they grow up, they start realizing the treasure that they had at home with their incredible mother. They, they stand up, and they, they praise her, and the husband also praises her and says, you, you cannot get better than my wife. You, you, many women have done excellently, but you, uh, speaking to his wife, surpass them all. So a godly woman should should appropriately be esteemed and admired. Her works should praise her. Look at verse 31. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So in the same gates, the town public sphere where her husband is an elder, her works are known and praised even there. Uh, Her works come back and praise her. And so she's not a woman who when her actions become known, she gets disgraced for them. Uh, you know, she, she's hypocritical or she's, you know, known for being this or that. She's got this character problem and all these issues. No, no, no. When her works become known, they come back to praise her in the Nor end. Or is she posting on Facebook all the things I did, <laughs> did today to be lauded at the gates either. Yes. So. Other people, other, that's, that's really important. Other people are the ones who are taking the yes. initiative to praise her. Yeah, absolutely. And our last one, for the sake of time, number eight, fears the Lord. Man, verse 30 is just incredible. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. It's a vapor. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen. The the point here is not to say, you know, uh, the, the point is not to be misunderstood. The point is saying, listen, the things the world elevates is charm and beauty. Those are the two things the world holds up as the be-all, end-all. If you're looking for a marriage partner, charm and beauty. Well, ask no offense to just Hollywood generally. I don't really mind offending Hollywood generally. Offense to them. They they say, I mean, look at their track record. How many beautiful, charming people get married in Hollywood every year? I just said, don't talk about their marriages. Now I'm doing it. Incredible. How, How long do their marriages last? Track record is what, a year, two years, average, three years, maybe? If it lasts a decade, it's monumental in in Hollywood. Why is it that the most charming, beautiful people cannot work it out for very long? The answer is that's not what you build a lasting friendship and marriage on. You, You build a lasting friendship on a deep bond in common with Christ that is built on the character of the individuals. 
Over time, charm shows to be nothing but deceit in the end, and beauty begins to fade. But if you've built your marriage on character, the character of your spouse and your own character by God's grace, character becomes more beautiful over time, not less beautiful. The physical fades over time. But character only becomes more beautiful, more attractive as time goes by. And the more trials you go through together as a married couple, the more beautiful you can see your spouse becoming through the way the Lord is working and shaping them. So fear of the Lord is the number one attribute you should be looking for in a godly woman, or you could say that uh, as well to a godly man. Fred, any closing thoughts? Well, uh, we're going to pick this up in, in Titus and in, in, in 1 Peter also, but it, 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 there's a particular charge to older women to be an example, to set an example. Um, they're to teach what is good and train young women. And so that's a, that's a charge going out to older women to train younger women. But I would say the same charge exists in that same passage to older men teaching younger men. Yes. Which everyone needs to be doing. Yes, that's good. So ne next Sunday, Lord willing, we will talk about uh, more on the role of the woman. We'll, we'll be in some other passages like Titus 2. Uh, we'll be in 1 Peter 3 and maybe 1 Timothy as well. So a, a lot more to talk about. And Fred, can you close us in prayer? Yes. Father, thank you for this uh, Proverbs 31 um, example. Um, you know, I, I, I know that they're uh, how we sometimes feel when we're, we're given an example, something like this from Scripture. But uh, it's also meant to convict. It's also meant to encourage. It's also meant to lift up. Uh, it's an example of what we, we should be. And, and it is, uh, you know, a proverbial uh, example as well and, and one that we should aspire to. So I, I thank you for um, this person, if it's a real person, and, and uh, you know, that, that we could... As men, we could look for that type of person if we've not chosen a, a, a spouse. Uh, but on the other hand, for young women to, to aspire to be this type of woman that, that is industrious, that is uh, wanting to take care of her family, that's wanting to be uh, 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 supportive uh, of her spouse in, in his profession, whatever that may be. Uh, all of this is lost on our upside-down culture, all the cancel culture and woke culture and that type thing. We don't have time today to go into that, but this is, this is what we want to address in this section on uh, biblical manhood and womanhood. So I'm thankful, Father, for your word and thankful for Mark and his message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all.